Hello, and welcome to another episode of Intelligence for Your Life, the podcast. I'm Gib Gerard. Our guest this week is Alana Pratt. She's the author of the new book, Finding the One is, well, it's Bull Donkey. Uh, we're going to talk about how, uh, how if you're looking to find the one, you've got the wrong mindset. We're going to talk about how you can become the person that you want to be in order to attract the person that you want to be with. We also talk about how to take these principles, these notions of how to become the person you want to be, and apply it to a relationship, if you're already in a relationship, to a committed relationship. So how you can actually make your relationship better by applying these principles. It's not just for singles. So so stick with us. She is an amazing delight, a, per, a great person to talk to when it comes to uh, figuring out how to attract the things in your life that you want. We're also going to give you a couple of quick pieces of intelligence before we get to the interview. But before any of that, we need to give a quick thank you to our sponsors, including Rocket Mortgage. That's right. This part of the Intelligence for Life podcast is presented by Rocket Mortgage. When you need certainty in the home buying process with a loan that fits your life, Rocket can. Once again, just want to say thank you to everybody who helped make today possible. Here we go with two quick pieces of intelligence. What's the best time to do some online shopping? Immediately after you've had a good meal. That's because when we're hungry, our system is flooded with the appetite-boosting hormone ghrelin, and ghrelin makes us seek ways to feel satisfied, even if they have nothing to do with food. The study sums it all up in the title. It's called Hunger Promotes Acquisition of Non-Food Objects. The research was done by the University of Minnesota, and in every experiment they conducted, hungry people bought more stuff, even paperclips. And hungry people bought a lot more, 70% more than shoppers who had eaten. The hungry people also spent over 60% more. So if you're hungry, you'll end up clicking buy for things you don't really want and you don't even need. Bottom line, eat before you shop. Okay, one more before we get to our interview with Alana. Thanks to the hit Netflix series, which I happen to love, The Queen's Gambit, the game of chess is actually seeing a huge surge in interest. Chess.com is seeing 100,000 new users signing up every day, smashing all previous membership records for the site. If you're not familiar with the series, The Queen's Gambit is centered around a young woman named Beth Harmon and her quest to become the world's greatest chess player. Chess.com has even launched Beth Harmon bots, so users can play a game against the series' fictional chess champions. So you can play against a fictional character. I happen to love the series. I happen to love chess. Uh, I think it's a good game for changing the way that you think, so I think this is all good. Okay, folks, without further ado, share those pieces of intelligence, but here, most importantly, is my interview with Alana Pratt. Alana Pratt, intimacy expert, relationship coach, author of the new book, Finding the One is BS, Becoming the One is Brilliant and Beautiful, and ironically, the key to attracting your ideal partner. That is a heck of a subtitle. But thank you so much for being with us today. I really am excited to dive into this with you. So am I, and thank you for that enthusiastic welcome. <laughs> I am nothing if not enthusiastic. So wait, I, I want to I dive into your overall brand and the, and the stuff that you do, what it means to be an intimacy expert, uh, et cetera, what, what we can learn about this book. But I, I think before we start anything, we need to talk about why, why finding the one is, is not our focus. I think for so many people... For their whole lives, they're told that you will find the one. It's it's baked into every Disney movie. It's yeah. baked into so many different aspects of our lives, uh, and we, and I think I think a lot of people are under the misapprehension that as soon as you meet that person, everything mm -hmm. just gets easier. And if it's not perfect, then you haven't met that person yet. Oh, it's all full of lies, isn't it? Yeah. And I I know from two divorces and the only one in common being me, um, that there, there was something more to this, that finding the one isn't actually the, the way it's actually becoming the one. 
Because when I was looking to find the one, I was empty. I felt incomplete. You know, if they approved of me, I was good enough. If they gave me attention, I could finally relax on the inside. Everything was like externally miswired, seeking all my worth and approval on the outside. And as soon as I found someone, then I had to keep that someone. And so they said, hey, let's go for a run. Uh, don't you love running? And I'd be like, sure, I hate running. <laughs> you know, right. I would lie and I would lose myself. And so this idea that finding the one is 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 going to solve all our problems is a, is a huge lie. Right. And you, and, you, you know what I find so interesting is we, the behavior you just described everybody's best friend we could we could identify that in our best friend when you see your friend start to take on the uh, the activities and characteristics of somebody else you can see when it becomes toxic so easily in somebody Mm -hmm. else but Mm -hmm. we often miss it in ourselves we just think oh this is a compromise i'm making for the greater good and you begin to lose yourself in that process Yes. Well, when we're not, I call it whole on the inside, when we don't have an intimate relationship on the inside, intimacy defined as, you know, honest, transparent, real, vulnerable yeah, yeah. You know, with ourself. Are, are we able to sit in our own fire when we feel scared and not push our own feelings away? Can we just really burn in our truth and then be brave and speak up when we don't know how to do that and we're seeking everything on the outside? You're right. We do lose ourselves for another. And I guess we could call it a blind spot. We don't see that we're doing it. So one of the other gifts that I give with people on my website, there's an intimacy blind spot assessment because we're all intelligent. Nobody's trying to mess up a relationship, right, right? right? But these intimacy blind spots, I have them too. I'm like a very successful coach. I've been at this for 20 years, but I can't see mine either. Right. (laughs) So we all need to be a little humble and a little brave and really look at what are the behaviors that I'm doing that are bringing me closer in intimacy so I can thrive or pushing us away. Yeah, I mean, it's, this is this is like this is why therapists are in therapy, right? Because because you right. really need the other, you need somebody else, you need a you need a, a another iron to sharpen you. Yeah, yeah, and that's that's good. Otherwise, I think we'd all have our own planet if we were all supposed to like be right, do it right, be right. perfect. We'd all be alone. But if we're we're all here together to help one another, to support one another, and unfortunately, when we have the point of view that. You know, I need to be perfect in order to get love. So I'm finally good enough. We we pretzel ourselves into these, you know, strange beings that give away our power, don't speak up, you know, withhold our truth, desperately seeking love on the outside when in fact we're all a hot mess from time to time. Yeah. We are all perfectly imperfect. And if we could put down those walls while staying connected to our inner little you, that's what I call the little you inside your heart, the one that needs right. a hug. Yeah. The one that needs a little noogie noogie, the one that needs a, a snuggle. Yes. If we could do that on the inside, we could open our hearts and be real with another and stay connected even when we're scared. And then through conflict or uncertainty or challenge, we could actually be even stronger on the other side. I, I, I mean, I love that. I think there's a part of us too that is so unwilling to allow that part that wants to, to admit that there's a part of us that wants to be, you know, to use your metaphor, snuggled. And, yeah. and, and, and like that... That that inner, like, I think there's so many of us that walk around with the belief that if somebody truly saw that version of ourselves that you're talking about, that mm-hmm. that needy version of ourselves, uh, and not an unhealthy need, but like a, just a, just a version that needs somebody else, we would uh, we would be rejected, and that would be it would be 
uh, what's the word? It would be uh, such a such a painful experience. We'd never recover from it. Oh, right. exactly. We'd have to run for the hills. It would be so devastating. But the, in fact, the opposite is true. And I discovered this in my own journey. When I started coaching 20 years ago, I had to do it right, had to look good, had to be perfect, blah, blah, blah. Um, and I had a certain caliber of clients that would come to me and I was exhausted and I got mm, like 80% results. But as soon as I decided to put down my walls and literally love my clients, so mm -hmm. I'm not a therapist. I'm a coach. I just said, Hey, you know what? Like use me universe. You use me as a facilitator, a channel for their highest good. Let me love them and let me be real. And I started to share my own vulnerabilities, my own hot mess, wobbly self from time to time. Right. The opposite occurred. They felt safe. They felt seen. They felt understood. And they started to share with me. And these are their own words. I've never shared this one ever with anyone else, or I've never even shared this with myself. There is a depth of truth that we can get to within ourselves and with another when we put down those behaviors of trying to be perfect and in control and keep it together. Because last time I checked, life is uncertain. Yeah. Has been and always will be. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so uh, I, 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 want, I want to explore that a little bit more because I, I totally believe that that when someone is vulnerable with us, we are much more likely to be vulnerable with them. And, and the yes. converse of that is if you're vulnerable with somebody else, you're much more likely to have them become vulnerable with you. Like there's a there's a reciprocity there. And in a minute, I, I do want to come. I want to circle back later on and 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 just talk about people who are maybe in a committed relationship with somebody they really care about, but who are looking to expand to this kind of intimacy. But mm -hmm. I want to stay on this notion of doing the work on yourself first before you meet that person. We'll we'll get to we'll get to the the committed relationships thing in a second. But I I, I want to stay with this for a minute. Yeah. How do you if it, so? I understand that you and your ability to uh to reflect with your clients in 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 your ability to be transparent helps them become more transparent uh are there things that we can start doing because i think to your point before there's a lot of people who don't even know where that transparency lies within themselves yeah like, how do they begin to unpack that I didn't even know I had an inside. I was so wired to try to be safe and look good on the outside. I was going a million miles a minute, strategizing three steps ahead. What do I need to do to get the guy, get the job, you know, get, get, get. And soon someone said to me, just slow down and breathe and feel. And when that occurred, I did not like what I felt. I felt panic, insecurity, anxiety, overwhelm. So I, in the past, would push it away put a fake smile on my face and just keep being a workaholic. I'm sure we all have our vices that right. we run through when we don't know how to feel and navigate intense emotions. So the first part is to go, okay, so I actually have an inside and my inside isn't feeling so good right now. And with the help of a coach like me or a therapist or a counselor, et cetera, someone to kind of hold space and love you unconditionally and not judge you as you're going through the emotions, start to breathe and say to yourself inside your mind's eye, five, four, three, two, one. Hey, little one, I got you. And visualize in your mind's eye a little you who's either scared or afraid, uh, angry, sad, humiliated, ashamed, whatever the flavor is. And imagine going towards them, not with a two by four to hit them over the head so they stop it. Right. <laughs> no judgment or criticism. That is going to get you the opposite effect. This is called unconditional love. This is called love without condition. This is, I'm willing to go sit in the dark with you and hold you and acknowledge you 
and breathe with you and validate you and go, hey, if that happened to me, I'd feel exactly the way it's feeling to you. So this experience is going to be uh, for a short period of time, five to 10 seconds, quite intense. You might cry. You might feel like you're a little out of control, but stay with it. Keep visualizing little you, even if you have to hold a pillow and just grab that little you physically like that, you'll find as you keep breathing and you keep visualizing and you keep affirming, hey, I'm here, I'm not going anywhere. That part of you that has been disconnected, criticized, abandoned, rejected, maybe for decades, right. maybe you never saw your parents do this in a healthy way, maybe this is the first time you've ever done it, you will experience mm, calmness, compassion, peace, exhale, grounded, centered. You'll experience something quite lovely. I will admit the path is intense. Right. And that's why it's great to do with somebody like myself who's very steeped in these quantum psychology, spiritual technology processes that understand brain science, understand the quantum field, understand emotions, etc. This is how I started. I, I had coaches help me. But then soon I started to find, we could call it inner peace, peace in my skin, of course, I'd like you to like me, but if you don't, I'm going to be okay. Right. I no longer was grasping desperately for everything on the outside. I started to become like this calmer person. And then the response as I began to date or do a speech or talk to a prospective client is they would say things like, wow, it feels kind of safe to be with you. I, you're, and there's something about your energy that just feels really good. And that is a direct connection, a, a direct relationship with the energy that we all can cultivate inside our being. And science now calls it coherence of the heart. I was blessed to be able to be a speaker at the annual heart, ma uh, heart math conference down in Cancun last year, leading a heart meditation. And it's actually measurable. When you do this inner work and you breathe through your heart, you can literally raise your measurable coherence from a place of, let's say, overwhelmed, disconnection, the world's out to get me, to, okay, I got this. Kindness, care, gratitude, appreciation. Now, you, you talk there, so you're talking right there about like the, you're talking about the quantum field, you're talking about using your subconscious mind and, and orienting it to the positive so that you can bring about positive things. You... In some of your writing, you talk about using the law of attraction. In some of your uh, some of the videos you've posted online, you talk about using the law of attraction uh, when it comes to your mate. Uh, mm. Help us help us understand how that works. Like, how do we begin to? I understand this idea, like, and I love that. And part of me is really pained by just even imagining what this would be like. You know, your idea of of connecting with this sort of primal version of yourself. This, this the the inner child is what what Freudian. Mm. Uh, psychologists would call it but this version of yourself that whose needs at some point were not met as a child that you are that you've uh, we've been compensating for for the last decade or so each of us um, yeah i love that but I, but take take this a step further when we start to do that work how that inner work begins to uh, help us use the law of attraction to get towards that point that we want yeah. So I'll do it through story. My first husband, I was coming from what I'll call like a damsel in distress, save me. Like I didn't have any sense that I could take care of myself, that I was worthy. And when I met him, he chose me, but I never checked in to see if I chose him. All I know is he <laughs> was for all him. <laughs> handsome and a multimillionaire and I'm, it's never going to get better than this. Right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. it was all based on fear and looking good. And so be on the inside, I hadn't done the work to approve of myself, 
to know that come hell or high water, I could take care of myself. Uh, I had never decided that I got to choose that my opinion mattered as well. Like I'd never done any of that inner work. So he was a vibrational match to my level of unenlightenment, unconsciousness or lack of security and and self-worth. And so over our six year relationship, as I became more confident and I no longer needed quote unquote him for that, I became highly annoying to him. <laughs> and, and he to me, because our original reasons why we came to quote unquote complete each other never didn't work anymore he didn't like that i had my own opinion anymore he didn't like that i didn't ask his approval on everything yeah (laughs) and so that relationship i'll call it a sacred contract no harm no foul everybody grew that was complete because i'd found that within me and i could raise up my vibration but i'll be honest i didn't raise it up much i decided that the the weak shadow feminine version the damsel in distress didn't work so i sort of went to the other side of the coin and i thought well i'm going to be a masculine know-it-all you know i'm going to find a man and i'm going to find a man and have a baby like it it was it wasn't very hard open it was a little bit better than being a a victim but i was still kind of crunchy around the edges and and when my mom was dying and my heart was closed because i still hadn't learned how to navigate intense emotions and feel And what you can feel, you can heal. I hadn't learned that yet. I hadn't been willing to do that depth of brave work yet. So my heart was closed. And who would I attract then? Like attracts like. I attracted someone whose heart was closed as well. And I had it. I was masculine. So I'm like, okay, I need a man and a baby. And that's my plan. And of course, I wasn't listening to my intuition. I wasn't listening with my heart's wisdom and knowing. So I attracted somebody that once I discovered was quite an angry individual. Once my mother died and here I was with a new little infant, he didn't like that we weren't getting along. And when I said, okay, this didn't work either. And I asked for a divorce. He was so humiliated by that choice of mine that his only response from a closed heart was revenge. And that was a 12 year custody battle. A long, long, painful journey to take a little child who just got on the planet. He only knew court battle. That's all he's ever known. And so I take full responsibility that I didn't do the work to heal my heart, open my heart, and that I attracted my like vibration, closed heart to closed heart. So that's the explanation of when we do the inner work, we can raise our vibration to a higher quality life, a higher quality partner, and a higher quality relationship. And so now, while I'm not married for a third time, I am dating wonderful human beings who also learn to keep their heart open in the face of uncertainty, who also have turned the very worst into the very best, who have literally been doing the work and continue to do the work to raise their vibration. And I'm able to have a lot more conscious uh, partnership and intimacy, not just with my the people I date, but with myself and also with life, God, the divine, the universe, whatever word works best. It used to be all up to me. I got to do it. I'm in charge. I'm in control, which is exhausting. And now I'm much more humbled and I'm able to ask for help, surrender and co-create with the field, with the divine who is consciously listening to my vibration all the time, supporting me through, we could call it coincidences or serendipity or miracles It's possible not through working harder, but by 
surrendering and still showing up to do the work, but doing so with a lot more humility than I did before. I, I feel like there's a certain amount of irony to this this notion that the more we close ourselves off and try to compensate consciously for what our what we want, the more likely we are to uh, to crash in in that <laughs> in that sense, right? Like yeah, totally, you, you want to protect yourself, so you close your heart. Well, guess what? You've just put yourself in a situation where that closed heart is actually going to do more damage than if you'd been truly vulnerable. Uh, yes. And then we go back to the little you who, when you discover you just did that, what most of us do is hit little you with a two by four, shove them in the closet and lock the door. Right. That's not going to do any good. The work becomes the work of compassion and empathy to go into that closet and go, oh, I'm sorry. i sorry I hit you. <laughs> I rejected you. I criticized you. I abandoned you for two decades. Hey, you had every right to feel that way. Come here, let me give you a hug. And then you have this experience of forgiveness on the inside, of oneness on the inside. And that's the true embodied evolution from shame into allowance or acceptance or pain into courage or bravery or sadness into forgiveness, allowance and calmness and peace. How do you balance the sense of flow that you're talking about this idea that you are connected to something bigger than yourself to to god and and that uh with the desire and the and, and I, there's a lot of people out there who embody a certain type a perspective which is i've got to grab the bull by the proverbial horns in order yeah. to steer it so how do you take ambition and goals and desire and reconcile that with flow and peace and calm I love your questions. So when the source of those actions, the drive comes only from the mind mindset, it, it often, it could even come from fear or at least a sense of like, I'm good enough once I accomplish this, or I'll be approved of when I achieve this. It's, it's often based on emptiness. And when something on the outside happens, then I can finally relax. Ooh, ooh that's good. Yeah, those kind of actions generally um, hurt the environment, bulldoze others. And yeah, you made it to the top of the mountain, but you're alone and not a lot of people like you. However, right. when you source actions, a very same action that is, is, an, is a drive um, to take an action, you source that in the, the whisper of your knowing, in the truth of your heart, in that pre-verbal gut instinct. Uh-huh, uh-uh. When you do the inner work to not take an action to get get anything on the outside, but to give, to give of your gifts, to give of your genius, to give of your enthusiasm, to give of your love, mm -hmm. then that spark within the heart then creates this incredible harmony with the mind. And the mind, to me, turns into like a divine mind. And then you've got the best of all worlds. You're co-creating with love and action. And you can do far more with far less effort because it's like all of a sudden the universe is wind in your wings. Love is the the, the wind in the sails of your ship and it's magic and it feels it's strange. Con, it's confidence from the inside, not confidence from the outside. It's a willingness to fail. Like, I don't even care if I succeed at this, me not doing this. I will not die with this song inside me. This is what I'm here to give. And it feels so good. And it allows you to be, I wouldn't say fearless, like I still have moments of like, ah, that I deal with on a day-to-day -day basis. But giving is more important than being approved of. 
or getting it right or looking good. Yeah, it, it, so so it really comes back to this idea of are your are your needs external or are they internal? Because mm-hmm. if you're looking to meet your internal needs uh, internally, like you're looking to allow that internal self to blossom fully, uh, yes. then then you're connecting to the power that you're talking about. And if you yes. are uh, if you are trying to connect to some sort of external validation, then you will be tripping over yourself that whole time. Yeah. And it's very empty. I'm sure we've all had the experience where we went for some goal. Maybe it's because our parents said you should be a doctor or you right. know, whatever it is. Uh, or society says you should wear these shoes and then you'll be amazing. Whatever it is, it could, uh, we get there and we're like, wait, is this it? Is this all there is? Right. Because isn't this sense of fulfillment, fulfillment like a full head to toe body sensation of yum, mm, delicious. Yeah. There, It's like this very shallow, empty looking around. Wah, wah, like where <laughs> is this it? Right. You'll know that that was not sourced deep within your soul and in your heart because it will feel empty. And a lot of us are like, oh, crap, I guess I got to try harder, got to do more, got to do more. And then now you've got the house and the car and the best selling book and all the way. And you're still not fulfilled. This is why. Now, not to say any of those things are bad or wrong. I'm just looking at the source of them all. And we each have our own, in my opinion, purpose, mission, vision. And one is not better than the other. We need everyone in their authentic truth, living their authentic truth to create the tapestry of of a thriving humanity. So to take the time to go in, uh, we could call that journaling, meditation, sitting under a tree, um, being deeply understood by a, a counselor or a healer like myself, somewhere where you can just let go of all of the outside comparisons and begin to listen to that small whisper. And you don't get there. Like you might hear what it is now, but it's still going to change as you evolve like a beautiful lotus flower, you know, <laughs> blossoming over and over and over. So it, no conclusions here. Just stay in the presence and listen and then take action. And then when those sparked uh, truths then turn into action and they come true, it's this really curious feeling because it isn't the ta-da, see, I'm good enough, I did it. It's almost like, well, I knew that. And I'm so grateful and I'm so humbled and so appreciative. So you don't get quite as excited for the highs and you don't get quite as upset with the lows. It's more of this middle flowing, as you were saying, kind of in the zone, connected more to celebrate the process of it all right. rather than attached to the outcome of it all. So this this reminds me of the, the, like this notion of of gratitude and how, how much research has been done recently and how many people I've talked to that have talked about this where the more you practice being grateful for things in your life, the more you you connect to the idea that, uh, and I, I've seen this so much. Like true happiness is not is is not getting what you want; it's wanting what you get. Or it's mm. true. I mean, it's not. It, it, yeah, it's 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 yeah, it's wanting what you have, not not getting what you want. Uh, mm. it, it's it, the, this idea that the more we orient our mind and to being grateful for what we have, and we always have something to be grateful for the more we're going to walk through life grateful and happy and connected to the things that are actually happening to us. The more we live in want, the more we are looking for that external validation, the more we are creating a hole in ourselves that will never be filled. Mm, So good. Like Rolling Stones, love the one you're with. (laughs) Yes. It's so, so true. I do my best every single day to like um, ground inward, like root inward, like deeper roots, higher shoots. 
And I used to only go for the shoots, grasping and wanting and proving and getting. And yet when I when I first go deep with the roots of gratitude for what is, and sometimes that's hard. Sometimes there's very little going well, going right, 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 quote unquote, in our life. So you have to really look and make it a practice to root first, even if it's just that there's food in the fridge. And if there isn't even food in the fridge, there's someone to call that would feed you. Like some some people's have gone through really, really tough times. Like there's no money in the bank. And yet I am in a world where abundance is is everywhere. And I know it's on its way. Like it's sometimes you have to really dig to find something to be grateful for. But if you do the work, we all know what you focus on expands and it will grow and what you're grateful for will grow. And I've literally even called my corporation celebrate the process, not celebrate the goal to to remind me every day to do this and not to get to Friday and look at everything that I didn't work out and I didn't make happen. But look back, you know, to the week of look what I have accomplished. Look what I have to be grateful for. Look at the love I shared. Look at the, um, the you know, the connections that were made. Got to look for these things. Yeah. And from that sense of wholeness, appreciation, love, care, kindness, maybe compassion um, that you fell down, but you got back up again. There's a sense of wholeness there that provides courage, not bullheaded strength to hit your head against the wall 10 more times. No, a courage from the heart to keep going and it will be steeped in an intuition and instinct of the most efficient, effective step from wholeness that will take you in the direction you want to go rather than just throwing spaghetti on the wall frantically, desperately out of fear. We rest into love and gratitude and then we can just ask a question. What would be the most elegant choice I could make right now? Show me the way. That's sort of like that humility, but the bravery to keep going And then maybe you'll get an insight. Maybe someone will send you an email. It'll feel right. It'll feel in resonant. It'll make you smile for no reason. It might even scare you a smidge. Right, 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 right. As well. And then go for it. Take that action. You know, what's incredible is, you know, you're you're talking about it from this, uh, from, from this very quantum spiritual perspective, but I happen to love sports. And the, the interesting thing is that like all of these people, you know, sports has very clear, uh, numerical rubrics for accomplishment, right? There, there's, there's really, there's stats, right? Uh, and, and you look at these people who have accomplished so much empirically, uh, and, and they almost always talk about exactly what you're saying. This idea that they, that you don't, you, you can keep the goal in mind, but what you need to do. And I've talked to business coaches who have said this, uh, and, and journaling is a big part of this, and also like writing explicitly, writing out your goals is, is great. But what it what you have to develop is a process that you trust and that you love. And that mm. process and that dedication to the process, that dedication mm. to the work will allow you to survive the ebbs in a way that you would uh, that you would otherwise not. And they all talk about it that the that the wins become foregone conclusions and are just a part of the process and the losses don't hurt as much. And it sort of evens out in exactly the way you're talking about. So it, like yeah. mamba mentality from from Kobe Bryant is just it's about focusing on the process and not stopping until you until you're looking at the goals that you started at the beginning of the process and that you are you love the process so much you never stop and he never stopped even when he stopped playing basketball he still had the process up until the day he died he was still dedicated to the process John Wooden uh, the UCLA basketball coach who coached so many greats from uh, from Bill Walton to to uh, Lou Alcindor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, like he he was a he was committed to a process that went down so nitty gritty to how you put your socks on. 
And that yeah. was and and, it, in, and all of his players fell in love with the process that he put out there. So mm-hmm. I, I just I see that in so many other ways that we that we really do have to find that process. Um, and I'm, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, I want to talk about two things. I want to talk about how to find the process, how to fall in love with the process, and also uh, I want to get I want to get to what we started off, which is how to apply this process and this uh, and and give yourself space to grow in the way that we're talking about while also rekindling this intimacy in a committed relationship. So uh, we're going to take a quick break. We come back more with Alana Pratt about, about this. So Alana, we were just talking about, uh, about this idea of loving the process. How, if we are, I mean, it, does it just go back to that trying to connect with that inner child, that, that version of ourselves that, that experienced pain at so young? And then once we have that, then the process begins to reveal itself. How do we begin to unpack that process? To me, the process is about being in the world, but not of it. Like if you literally allow your awareness to go, well, that didn't go so well and it's not going very well for them either. And what about me? And when, if you go off in that direction, you're going to lose quote unquote, the process. It is choice. I choose, as you were saying with sports, I choose to win whatever it is it's called. I'm sorry. I'm not a sports person. Like the, the, not the World Series. That's it, baseball. What is it in basketball? <laughs> it's it, it's the World Championships. It's okay. fine. It's fine. Okay. World okay. Series is great too. Okay, super good. So whatever world, whatever it is, we're going to choose it. And then it's done. We don't doubt. We don't hope. We don't wish. It is done. And then we come right back into the present moment and we do, quote unquote, as you said, the process. And we make it a spiritual ritual. We make it literally a sacred practice of, as you were saying, putting the socks on or how many times you're going to practice your pitching or you're shooting the hoop or <laughs> you really are not a sports person. I'm I, sorry, love I'm so, trying, I'm I love it so much. Keep going. Keep going. I love this. <laughs> My son is six, four and a lefty pitcher and he just rolls his eyes. At me. <laughs> He'll say a, a city and I've got a name like a, 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 a different sports group. Like from sports that, and, and he just laughs. His ass off at me. So anyways, I try, I do my best. <laughs> it's great. So, um, it's great. The idea is just showing up without like lifting up to like check, check. Is it working out? How's it going? What do other people think? Is it going to happen? I don't know. What if I don't know? No, just stop it. Just come right back to the present and do what's in front of you, but not with this begrudging attitude. Like, oh my God, I get to, this is my spiritual practice. This is what I'm doing and really seep yourself into celebrating and, um, loving falling down, loving, getting back up, loving everything that you can learn about it, knowing that it's already done. Right. Not hoping, knowing. So that to me is being in the world, but not of it, allowing us to celebrate the process and and enjoy the journey with this complete exhale on the inside, this complete, hey, little one on the inside. I got you. It's already done here. We're just going to enjoy the experience of life. And and one of the greatest lessons that helped me do this, which I'm sorry, is not a sports story. Whatever. It showed me the way to do this was on the one hand, I looked at my dead mother. And in that moment, I chose to open my heart. And in that moment of opening my heart, I simultaneously experienced the worst pain I'd ever experienced in my life. And relief. She was no longer in pain. She had horrible cancer. She was free. So in one moment, and I saw the shape of a heart in that moment, there's a path of feeling pain down one side of the heart and a path of feeling relief on the other side of the heart. But it all came back into this present moment 
of, of love. I love my mom. And this ability to experience pain or relief and stay in the moment, there was something to that. I knew it was an important moment. Nine months later, because the next weekend was my sister's wedding and we just decided to get drunk thinking mom was on a vacation just to get through the wedding, I got pregnant. Great. And here we are, nine months later, I'm giving birth to my son and I look inside into his eyes for the very first time. And on one side of the heart was bliss. I'm like, oh my God, I'm looking into the eyes of a miracle. Mm -hmm. Simultaneously, I'm like, crap, how do you keep this thing alive? Oh, <laughs> like total fear. Yeah. So in one moment, I felt both bliss and fear. And again, I saw the heart. And I thought, if I stay present to every experience there is of being a human, mm. Bliss and fear. I got this. I got this. Life isn't about getting it right, doing it right, looking good. No, life is about experiencing. And can I be brave enough and open my heart in the face of anything and savor and suck the marrow out of that moment? And it's been a beautiful gift for me in teaching my, my clients, helping my own journey to keep going and go, okay, I choose like, for example, I have a dating app. I don't know the first thing about dating app, just about as much as I know about sports. Like, I'm like what <laughs> am I doing? But I had a desire to help my clients who kept saying, hey, you know, I'm, you know, I'm two, three months into a relationship. It's going great. And we, we have our first tough conversation. And he or she ghosts me, ditch, ditches me, gone. Like, where are the people that know how to sit in the fire, keep right. their heart open in the face of anything? Now, I teach this to my clients. People fall in love in my group programs. But I thought, oh, OK, this is what I need to do. Not like a thought in my head, a strategic try to look good. It wasn't one of those thoughts. It was the whisper, the pre-thought, the, oh, my God, I got to take this bigger. I can create an app that is connected to an intimacy training that is connected to live calls every Friday. We call them conscious connections where we practice deep, meaningful conversations with people, not, oh my God, are they the one? No, just a conscious community. Yeah. I give them a trinity that's required to not only become the one, but that's what it actually takes to find the one, right. which is actually what it takes to keep the one. So this this is my way of uh, the process that you're referring to. Yeah. Uh, I, I want to pivot because you just talked about this. So this this idea of, and, and, I, and I believe this, where where you know, where we start to, we start to eschew this notion of meeting the the one, somebody for whom every conversation will be easy, uh, or somebody with whom every conversation will be easy, somebody that you just fit together so perfectly that there's never any conflict. I think that's, you know, I think that's a, a dangerous precedent, or it's a dangerous, yeah. it's a dangerous archetype that we do, we, that we seek. Um, and then you just, you talk about having these hard conversations and how that begins to erode some relationships. So, for the people who are in committed relationships and who are doing the kind of work that you're talking about, yeah, how do we? And let's just assume for a second that uh, that both parties are interested in doing this. How do you begin to create the space for the kind of growth that you're talking about? Because I, I, I'm thinking about like your first marriage, right? And not to make this yeah. personal for you, but but so you you start doing this growth in yourself, and you and you're in this marriage, and your husband at the time begins to bristle at the fact that the paradigm is shifting from where he was comfortable. So he's getting out of his comfort zone. Yeah. What if you guys want to stay together in this hypothetical situation? How do you begin to hold space for each other to grow and to make room for this uh, without the without this sort of fairy tale notion? 
Yeah. Well, I developed not only Heartmates for Singles, I developed Heartmates for Couples for this very reason, to support couples in, with a framework and a structure and accountability. And somebody's got their back as they go through what I believe it really takes in order for relationships to thrive is to really get down to the basics. The conversation is the relationship. Communication mm -hmm. is the relationship. And that's your conversation that you're having with yourself, the conversation that you're having with life, and the conversation that you're having with your partner. And so if we don't slow down initially before we want to talk to our partner and figure out what is it that's annoying us? <laughs> oh, underneath the annoyance, I'm scared. Oh, underneath the annoyance, I'm afraid. I, I feel sad. Um, I'm getting, getting triggered, actually. Something to do with my parents. That has nothing to do with my partner. This is like a long ago issue that I've never resolved. We have to be willing to do enough inner work so that when we come to our partner, we don't do so with criticism, blame. We do so, we do so with self-ownership and responsibility and openness to what else is possible. So that's one component. We've, whether we're single or in a relationship, it always starts with the self. Two, there is a structure that I've been trained in called the dyad. It's a two-way communication. And there's a lot of different nuances. But the main one is when you ask somebody a question, for example, tell me something you want me to understand that you think I may not fully understand. And then they answer. What it is about this structure with the dyad is all you get to say is thank you. And thank you doesn't even necessarily mean I agree. It just means I understand you. And what it does is it shows us most of the time in communication, we're not seeking to understand. We're seeking to be right, control, right. look good, dominate, all sorts of other things. This forces you to sit in the fire even if they said something crazy and you just have to burn and you just have to say thank you. And it's incredible that in a very short period of time, how safe it gets because no one's going to interrupt you. No one's going to justify. No one's going to give you all the reasons why you shouldn't think that way. They're just going to receive you with non-judgment and gratitude. Thank you. <gasps> My goodness, how quickly couples learn things. They've been married for 10 years. They had no idea about so many of the nuances deep within their partner's heart and soul, except for this beautiful structure of dyads. So within my Heartmates for Couples, this is what we do on a regular basis with partnerships. Maybe the question is, tell me something you're afraid to tell me. It could be, tell me a way you like to be loved. Tell me a way I could love you better. These are not questions we normally ask right. our partner. Right. And even if they respond, well, I already do that. Like we have a comeback. We don't just say thank you. So this is very, very powerful. That's, yeah. You know, okay, so there, there, there's so much in there that it, that is really powerful. One is both partners in this scenario have to be comfortable enough being uncomfortable. In other yeah. words, to ask the question, tell me something you're afraid to tell me. One is you've got to be ready to hear that information. Like, I, you know, there's a little bit of, of, of nervousness from the person asking the question. And, yeah. and that the, the partner has to trust that what they say is going to be received well. It, it reminds me of something that I, that I really like uh, that I learned early on. Something called drive-through communication. Because I, it, what it does is it interrupts, if you can commit to this, it interrupts the need to be defensive. And most of us are constantly in a state of being defensive, even with our own self-talk. We're constantly justifying our relationship to, to, uh, to all of our actions and experiences, right? When, and yeah. and. If you can detach yourself from that, you can you can have some real growth. So the drive to communication is you're in an argument with a spouse or, or, or partner, and um, and 
and what you you get to say everything that's bothering you to your partner and then they cannot defend any of it all they can do is repeat your order back to you all they can do is tell you the things as they hear them that you're saying and mm. you get to confirm if that is correct or not and then your partner gets to do it but what it does is it gets you into the mode of listening yes. without being defensive and that is that is what i hear like that's a real gem of uh, of, of of emotional relationship communication that I'm hearing from you right now as well, which is that you need to find that way to communicate without initially trying to protect that inner child, without initially trying to be defensive. Right. And then the presupposition to that is what we talked about before. Like, can I say to my little you, before I even go into that conversation, no matter what we hear, I respect you. No yeah. matter what we hear, I got your back. No matter what we hear, I love you and I, and I will never forsake you again. That allows you to calm down and open your heart and practice what you, your example and my example with your partner in a way that you don't need it to be a certain way in order to burn in the fire, rise like a phoenix out of the flame and be okay. And this is a, a muscle that we build over time. And then what happens is you don't need your partner to be a certain way. You begin to be in allowance of your partner. And then sometimes even humor can arise when they do their special thing that used to annoy you. All of a sudden now it's kind of endearing. Right. Like it when you first met in the honeymoon stage because you don't need to change them anymore. You're not taking it personally anymore. You don't need to dominate. You can go, wow. And then you can even get curious. Huh, what's the gift in this? What's if they are and this is science, I'm this is back to the geek that I like to interview the quantum uh, physicists on my, my podcast. Life is equal challenge and support. Life is equal pain and pleasure. The the addictive fantasy world is like you mentioned earlier. Oh, my God, the perfect partner. We're never going to fight. No, that's not reality. And no, you don't need to break up with somebody the minute they show their humanity. You have right. it, too, by the way. You're probably pissing them off at some point. Right. And so right. if we're like, OK, I'm going to put on my big girl panties or boxer shorts. Life is equal challenge and support. Got it. And. My point of view creates my reality. So if the challenge is no longer bad and instead I lean in with curiosity, looking at the gift in it, what in me is being asked to emerge right now because they're a five minute late kind of person and I'm a five minutes early kind of person. I could be judgmental and reject them and we'll break up or constantly be in a fight and I'll roll my eyes and do passive aggressive, which over time is going to lead to a lot of contempt and right. probably going to break up or who do I need to be to communicate with them in a way that's not judgmental, that's up under them, that's curious, and that could create something that would work for both of us? This is the new way to look at challenge and obstacles that are for you, for you to grow. What if your partner is your greatest spiritual teacher? Yeah. Yeah. But baked into that, again, is this idea of being able to undermine your own need to be defensive uh, yeah. One of the things I heard in there was a real gem, which is finding the one is not about finding somebody that you, uh, I'm paraphrasing here, but it was, it was in what you just said. It's mm -hmm. not about finding the person with whom there is no conflict. It's finding the person uh, with whom you can have conflict constructively. Yeah. Right? Mm -hmm. Because, that, yeah, go, mm -hmm. ahead. go ahead. 
When people come to me and say, should I stay in this relationship or not? I say, not until you've got every lesson, you suck the marrow out of it. Because if you don't get the lessons, you're going to find the exact same person in another body, but it's going to be worse. <laughs> so yeah. make sure you get these lessons. Now, if it's abuse, like physical abuse or, you know, addictions that are out of control, obviously that's not healthy challenge, right. that unhealthy challenge, leave now. But if it's just your general annoyance and frustration with a new pair of eyes, you can look and learn what that's an invitation to awaken within you. And of course, vice versa. And if both people are willing to do this work, it's kind of like a DNA spiral. The DNA spiral keeps going up and up and up and up. But there are moments where you go around to the dark side of the moon that are a little uncomfortable. Yeah. But if you work, you come around to the bright side again, and you're both stronger, wiser, more enlightened, and more grateful that the other woke up the best in you. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Alana Pratt is the guest. The uh, The book that we have been sort of going in and out of is Finding the One is BS, Becoming the One is Brilliant and Beautiful. Uh, link to where to buy that in the show notes. Alana, I, uh, I want to ask you two last things. One is, where can people follow up with you uh, aside from just getting your amazing book? Uh, where, where, where should they follow up with you? Oh, thank you. So my site is my name, Alana Pratt with two L's. So A-L-L-A-N-A-P-R-A-T-T.com. That is where you can have that intimacy blind spot assessment quiz, totally complimentary. You can learn about my YouTube channel. I'm grateful to have over 5 million views or my podcast, Intimate Conversations, where I really help people discover more about how to become the one to find the one. And then lastly, if you are single, and especially as we go into the holidays and into the new year, it's harder, I believe, to be alone when Aunt Martha says, so you're still single? Oh, the like, worst. Right? And so it's a really good time to get yourself into conscious community, which is what heartmates.app is all about. Yes, it's a dating app and an online intimacy curriculum and live communication training so that you're held on your journey of finding the one by becoming the one. So I would send people to that heartmates.app as well. So a link to alanapratt.com as well as the heartmates.app will be in the show notes. So you guys just click that and you guys can follow up with her. One last thing, Alana, and I ask it to everybody. What is one thing we can all start doing today that will make our lives a whole lot better? Mm, start the day and end the day with one hand on the heart, one hand on the belly, and just check in. To me, intimacy is an inside job. Just take that moment to go, hey, sweet self, is there anything I haven't slowed down enough to, to hear you say? Anything you want to let me know? And it might be quiet the first few times you do it because this part of you hasn't maybe been used to being honored, respected, cared about. But over time, that voice will get louder and you'll really feel a sense of home within you. And then you'll take that sense of home into all of your relationships. Intimacy is an inside job. I, I love that. Alana Pratt, thank you so much for your time today. We really appreciate it. Oh, and likewise, thank you for having me. That's it for our show today. Thank you guys so much for being a part of it. We are so happy that you guys decided to join us. If you like the show, please rate, comment, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us out a lot. I appreciate you guys so much. If you would like to find us, facebook.com slash John Tesh is where we spend most of our time. John is also on Instagram at John Tesh underscore IFYL. I am Gib Gerard. You can find me at facebook.com slash Gib Gerard or at Gib Gerard on Instagram and Twitter. I try to respond to every message, every mention of the show because, again, you know, I do this show for you guys, uh, I, I hear I hear you guys pick areas that you want me to go into, and I try to find uh, try to find authors that that you guys want to hear. So thank you guys so much for being a part of this with me, uh, and most importantly, thank you so much for listening. <laughs>